0: 45 on the button. If we could just shut that door, that would be really helpful, just a bit, oh. Well, hello, my name's Tanya Bright Cook, my maiden name is Bright and I got married to a cook, so I'll put his name on the end and he in fact is the Bright Cook because I don't cook at all in our house, so that's slightly back to front, thank you. I really applaud Spring Harvest for many things, but one of them is to put on a new stream called Stuff Happens. They get so much feedback every year on so many different things, and quite literally, they can't possibly cater to everything that everybody wants all of the time. But what they did was to listen to feedback that said, you know, we love the celebrations, We love the fact that we can come and celebrate God, but actually there are times as well where we feel as though we want to come and just maybe share some stuff too, and to talk about things that are hurting us, and to confront some things that actually are causing us to limp. And so they put this afternoon set of seminars on called Stuff Happens. I don't need to explain to you where that title comes from and how they've morphed that a little. (laughs) And today, therefore, the first one that we're going to be looking at together is coming to terms with disappointment. Coming to terms with disappointment. Now, I assume one of two things. You are here because either you have struggled with some disappointment Or you are here because you know people who are struggling in your lives, your church lives, your families, with people who are struggling with disappointment, and you feel ill-equipped as to how to help them. Now, given that there's probably a 50-50 split of that here today, we're going to be looking at both those things. How do we as individuals deal with the disappointments that we are facing? Let's own that. And I'm going to be sharing some very, very personal things today. So I'm trying to forget that this is being recorded as well. And I will just trust the anointing of the Holy Spirit that what I need to say, I'll say. And what I don't need to say, I won't say. So let's just front that together now. We together are going to face some disappointments. And then hopefully we will also look at some ways that we can help ourselves and help others with those disappointments. If I just give you a little bit of my background, Um, I was brought up in a really lovely Christian family, beautiful upbringing, and for whatever reason, I went really off the rails. And it took me a while to not only come back to a form of sanity, but also uh, to faith. And I came back to faith, and I ended up going into ministry. And from ministry then, I uh, morphed slightly into uh, then sort of bridging ministry and, and work. And so now I work for the Salvation Army, looking at all sorts of missional developments. And I also do quite a bit of public speaking. So that's, that's who I am. So quite often, when I'm in these spring harvesty things, and, uh, and I'm talking to people, they say to me, what would you know? You, just, you, you look very normal and middle class, and I've obviously had no problems in your life whatsoever. And I say, aha. I have a little bit of a background that uh, you might be surprised about, which we'll talk about in a bit. So I just want you to know that whilst I might be now stood here, the one with the microphone, actually I want to feel as though I'm slap bang in the middle of us here in this room. I simply have learnt some ways to orienteer through this stuff, and I am no way yet there. So please can I just vulnerably share that with you, I am learning too, and uh, whilst I have the privilege of sharing some of this stuff with you, I, I aim to be permanently learning more and more myself. So I think we're kind of nearly in now, I, I thought I wouldn't get into the body of it until we'd kind of got a little settled. Okay, coming to terms with disappointment. Laurence Olivier wrote this statement, which I love. Living is strife and torment, disappointment and love and sacrifice. Golden sunsets and black storms. I said that some time ago, and today I do not think I would add one word. Kind of sums it up, doesn't it? It sums it up. Golden sunsets. And black storms. The thing about disappointment is this: it's inevitable. I, when I came back to faith in my mid-twenties, ended up going to a very, very charismatic evangelical Bible college in Australia, beginning with H, you may, may or may not know. And It was one of the most profound experiences of my life for a whole variety of reasons. But one of the things that I picked up there by osmosis was it's not okay for things to not be okay. You have to look smiley and uh, life is good and and the language is victorious and and all of those things are right and, and, and fine. But after a while, I began to think, where do I go with myself when actually this isn't all smiling and happy and projecting uh, fulfillment? And it was a very interesting couple of years for me. I came back from Australia not knowing actually in my Christian walk how to process disappointment and difficulties in my Christian life. I felt as though what I had learned was how to put a veneer on how to be a Christian that um, said everything was fine and tried to believe everything was fine. And actually, oftentimes, it just wasn't. Now, I'm sure they had no intention that that's what they were trying to project. But it's what I came away with. And so for me, I have learned that disappointment is inevitable And that also, shock horror, the Christian walk does not mean one whereby everything goes swimmingly, nor perfectly, nor brilliantly, all the time. In fact, our Christian faith is about learning how to manage during moments and times of suffering rather than it is about learning how to be people that just pro- project perfection and then silently and secretly limp Matthew 5 in Matthew 5 it says this he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous Now this was a startling scripture for me at the time when actually i realized that as a christian Actually, I couldn't just declare and claim perfection all the time. I couldn't just expect to have the right formulaic prayer and suddenly all those things in my life that I was struggling with, battling with, would disappear somehow and therefore my life would be markedly different from somebody who didn't know Christ. What I realized was that, my goodness, the rain will pour on me as much as it will rain on the person next to me who have, may have no faith experience whatsoever, but it is my response to it that defines me and defines my faith and allows me to show the Christ in me. Welcome, guys. There's some seats down the front, if you want. There's a perfectly clean, beautiful row here. <laughs> Yeah, sorry about that. I won't I won't point you out or anything like I am now. Wow, I wasn't expecting quite so many people. There's a few chairs down the front here. So, it's inevitable. Disappointment, for those of you just joining us, is inevitable. The Christian life shouldn't and isn't about living and projecting perfection, but rather managing and learning how to uh, cope with the disappointments. And I've put here, life is difficult, full of challenges, peaks, troughs, ups, downs, routine, boredom, and change. Now, you might be wondering, well, what, what were her disappointments? She seems like quite a bubbly person. She's obviously kind of doing okay. Well, I alluded to earlier, I left home very, very young. Um, I left home just before my 16th birthday and ended up uh, on the edge of the sex industry. Uh, where, by the grace of God, I didn't get too deeply uh, involved in that, not so much that I exited uh, relatively unharmed um, and began a a life of trying to sort of piece things back together again. And by the time I had uh, done that um, and restored with my family, sadly, my mum was diagnosed with terminal cancer and uh, was given uh, six to nine weeks left to live And she lasted a long lot longer than that, Um, bless her heart. She went 18 months through the most horrific, horrific uh, cancer experience, cancer journey. And as a Christian family, we prayed every day. My dad would hold her uh, in his arms like a child and cradle her, speaking scriptures over her. And as a family, we had multiple experiences where we believed that God was going to move and God was going to work and God was going to heal physically. And in the end, uh, my mum passed away. But as a family, we had a profound sense that we had prayed her into heaven. And that actually for my mum at that point, that was healing. And that's how we coped with that as a family. Uh, From there, I ended up having a broken engagement uh, with a... Uh, a lovely uh, Christian gentleman, obviously keeping details a little bit flaky here for obvious reasons, who told me relatively soon before the wedding that, in fact, he had far more of a homosexual gearing in terms of his thought processes uh, than heterosexual. So I I went from that then uh, disappointment, uh, broken relationship, into then a redundancy, and was very unclear about God what God was doing by this point. Um, I had moved location in order to take this particular job. I felt this was the call of God on my life at that point, and four months after was made redundant. And then I'd got settled into a, a new church and uh, was, was thriving there and loving that and making great friends. And there was a, a very difficult experience uh, for the church and myself uh, with... Uh, some controlling leadership issues, uh, and I then left that church. And uh, the good news is I then got married to a really gorgeous man. So you're all probably just breathing a sigh of relief there for me, me having just told you this epic story. So I got married to a gorgeous man, Murray, and uh, we've been married uh, together a couple of years now. And sadly, we're on a a very difficult quest at the moment in terms of... um, starting a family, and we've lost two babies relatively late in term, and uh, and so we are just working through that. We lost our last baby in January, just gone, so I'm actually doing the childlessness seminar, I think it's tomorrow. Um, so, I wanted to share all of that, to sh- to say to you that if you think that I'm somebody stood here with the microphone whose whose life is really quite sort of, you know lacking in shade and light, I just wanted to affirm you that, you know, you're in safe hands today, and if you're feeling disappointment, or you're knowing others that are, allow me to relate to and with you. So, they're my disappointments. Now, it would seem to me as I was praying through this, that the areas that I have most encountered difficulty and disappointment in... Are in three areas really. Disappointment with others, disappointment with myself, and disappointment with God. And all three of those, others, ourself, and God, all three of those are so painful. All three represent deep hurt. And we're going to look at those three areas together now as we go through. So, disappointment in others. Well, this is, this is quite a broad spectrum. Our partners. I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up, because you might be sat next to your partner. But I'll put my hand up on your behalf and say, it's tough, isn't it, Sometimes. And the whole area of relationships and marriage, long-term relationships, let's call them that, it would be an unrealistic relationship if there was not a disappointment in there at some point or another. But because our long-term partnerships with people are those relationships that will have the greatest impact, if we are let down by that significant partner, it can be so deep-rooted that it can be difficult to let things go and to move on. Friends. Disappointment in friends has been something that I've worked through over the years. Often, invariably, it ends up with us not going deep into any more friendships because we just kind of figure, can't do that again. Just can't go there again. Disappointment with our children. When I left home, my mum said to me, she apologised later, she once said to me, you are such a disappointment. The utopia that I wanted for this family, the desires I had for this family, you have shattered. Now, she said that at the point of her greatest anger and her greatest frustration. But as a child, I know what it is to feel. A parent's disappointment. Our children can be a source of real disappointment. And yet, don't you find that particularly in the Christian church, we almost have to have children that somehow are kind of either taking on the next message of the gospel to, you know, the latest African continent. And if they're not doing something that kind of outstanding or amazing, I've had Christian parents say to me, they feel embarrassed They feel embarrassed of what their children are doing or where they're at. And I don't think that's what God would be saying. I think he'd be celebrating in where those children are at, knowing that he's got a plan for them, and they may choose or accept that at another point in their life. But it's something to face. Our children sometimes for us are a disappointment. Society oh gosh, we could get into this one for hours, but we'll move on from that. So much in our society that I just feel and see and hear people just exasperated with society around us and the church. Now, I'm keeping the church separate from us talking about disappointment in God because they are two very, very different things. But hands up here who has just found disappointment where they have expected something from the church and it's just not materialized well I mean that's probably most of us the church so disappointment in others I think the fact that this list is here as long as it is is suggesting this we are going to at some point or another feel disappointment in one way or another across all of these areas dependent on what's related to us Disappointment in ourselves is what I now want to just come on and introduce. Romans 7.15, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Romans 7.19, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This, this, I keep on doing. I so relate to those scriptures. I have an image of myself, which when I don't act according to that image, I get disappointed. The image I have of myself, I think probably quite helpfully, is the image that God has imprinted in on me, which is what I should look like. It's in my DNA. I'm made in the image of God. And yet, I can be very honest with you and say, I rarely look like the image of me that I want to look like. It's easy for me to project something to you, as we talked about earlier. I can project any part of me that I want you to see, but actually that's quite high-maintenance. There are so many areas of my life that I have been deeply disappointed in myself on and continue to be. How we treat others. How we treat others is an area of huge disappointment probably for most of us. I, at times, treat my husband in a way... That given that he is a gift from God for me, I treat him in a way and speak to him in a way that I wouldn't speak to any friend like. Because he is so committed to me. But that does not make it right. Sometimes when I've had a little flip out and I've had a stamp and a rant... And I've said things that have not affirmed him. I've said things that have asserted my need, my right. And he'll sit there hurt and broken. I despair of myself. Because I think, if anybody at Spring Harvest had seen that little moment, would I be proud? No. I despair of myself the way I treat people who I don't feel comfortable with. I despair of myself sometimes if I'm confronted by somebody who I either think is bullying somebody else. I find I fight for the underdog very very quickly and I can go into battle for things and people that, to be honest, it's just not worth fighting. And I can end up, therefore, treating people in a way that they've just treated someone that I've hated in the first instance. So if I end up becoming the very thing that I most hate, what does that say about me? I get disappointed with how I treat God. I get disappointed... That I start praying of a morning and within two minutes I'm unable to maintain either concentration or any real flow in prayer and I'll get up and I'll do something else I'll make a cup of tea and I will say in my head it's okay God I'll be back in a minute we'll do this again I'll check in later and on goes my year And I occasionally have that conviction that actually my relationship with God needs as much relational investment as a partnership, as a friendship. And yet I treat God as though he will just come in and out at my beck and call when I'm right and I'm ready and I'm there and I'm willing. I get disappointed with myself how I treat God. An area that many people speak to me about is how they feel so very disappointed with themselves, how they treat their sexuality. And by that I mean they either abuse the beauty of their sexuality through porn, through infidelity, through thought processes about other people that you know aren't godly nor right, People that abuse that sense of power in their sexuality, in their relationships. They use it to manipulate the marital bed. They use it to manipulate the relationship that they're in. And for so many people, this area of broken sexuality is an enormous one. It affects everything about us. Because sex is so much a part of us. Whether we're celibate or not, our sexuality remains constant. It's in our psyche. We relate to each other as sexual beings. So whether we are active or not actually isn't the question. It's how we deal with our sexuality and how we honor people with our sexuality that matters. And I get disappointed with how I treat my resources. One of the beautiful ladies on the speaking team, Ruth Valerio, was saying to me, Oh, I always just fill up my water bottle time and time again when I'm on site, so I don't have to keep, you know, having a new water bottle all the time. As she said that, I had four water bottles lined up in front of me, all half empty. I don't treat my resources right. I have far too much of some things, little of the things that I really should have. I don't share in the way I should. I'm excessive on my shoes. I'm disappointed in how I treat my resources. And disappointment in God is something which I probably talk to people about, if not every day, certainly every week. A third of the Psalms are written by disappointed people. Calling God to task. I thought we had a deal, God. Why are these bad things happening? I followed your will and yet I'm surrounded by enemies. My life is caving in. It's not fair. Jeremiah, Habakkuk, Job. All of these individuals are recorded in scripture as doing like the huh question. The what? How could this be? I've loved you. I've lived for you, God. I've served you. I've made sacrifices for you. And this is what life ends up looking like. This is hard, God. This is not fair. Others are looking, God. Others are looking. Please bless me now because, frankly, this life is just beginning to be a bit embarrassing. How many of us, in our honest moments, have looked at our faith, our relationship with God, and what we thought this was going to look like and feel like and have felt disappointment. So many of us. The thing is this, however, it seems God wanted disappointment recorded in scripture. He doesn't seem somehow embarrassed by it, ashamed of it, not wanting us to feel it. In fact, it seems to be something that is the precursor to wonderful things. Restoration. But sometimes, it's not. And we have to grapple with what it is to walk through disappointment and nothing turn out okay. Or how we thought it would or should, and still walk the journey of faith with a dignity and a maturity and an attraction to others because they just see something so profound in the way we carry it that it is the biggest testimony people have ever said, I have been. And yet I thought it was about how well I preached or how well I managed my congregations or how well I set up new missional developments. Yet the most people that have come to faith in my life over the last 15, 20 years have said, we saw something in your relationship with God, even though you were going through so much stuff that made us know he must be real. And that blew me away. We're not going to dwell on these so much, but it's important to recognize what the effects, the painful effects of disappointment are pain, emotional, and physiological. We all know stories of where people's arthritis and physical difficulties have got worse and worse the more that they're carrying pain and disappointment. We can also feel a sense of loss and bereavement, disillusionment. A sense of betrayal, somehow. Sadness, depression, apathy, and the development of negative coping mechanisms. And different uh, behaviours, as I did. I always used alcohol as my form of uh, self-medication. That and smoking. Although smoking, I have to say, was never actually a sort of relaxant. It was more just, I became addicted. And once I was addicted, then it became a secret, and once it was a secret, then it became more addictive, and then I'd hide it. But alcohol for me was the thing that I would then use to just keep smoothing over the disappointment. And because drinking in our culture is celebrated, if not uh, tolerated, um, I could still operate my very, very uh, fulfilling, meaningful Christian life and have too much to drink. And so it took me a long time of just real accountability, of living in community, of sharing with people that, you know what, you know when I'm just not managing some of these emotions, I just need to know I go home and I have a bottle of wine all to myself. Nobody gets to see any of that bottle, it's just me. Me and the Pinot. Now, I know that that's not alcoholism. I know that that, for me, has not stepped into the realm of um, using that as in an addictive way, but I know for me that was my coping mechanism. And that when I wasn't using alcohol, I you know could function fine and normally. So for me, it wasn't a physical addiction, but it became a coping mechanism. And often with disappointment, if we're not careful, more and more and more and more, we'll end up using things, be that overworking, be that sex, or porn, or... becoming angry in situations and we're just not coping in the way that we're responding to people or too much television there'll be escapisms that we'll build in so that we don't actually have to tackle the painful stuff and my challenge to us is this to not deal with it means that it will just stay exactly where it is and when you come out of the escapism it will still be there so the sooner we can deal with it and process stuff, the better, but we'll go on to that. And the impact on us spiritually. Proverbs 13:12: hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Disappointment can sometimes make us lose confidence in our faith. It can settle us into ambiguous theology. I've done that. I've gone, well, God doesn't heal. God doesn't really, you know. I'll I'll just celebrate if I hear any positive stories, but you know, in my heart of hearts, I'm just going to actually believe that, you know, it's just not working in the way that I thought it would. But, you know, I'll just, I'll just not tell anyone that I don't really believe this anymore. That's no good either. I want a solid theology. I don't want a black and white one, don't get me wrong. I don't want one where I've got all the answers, but I don't want an ambiguous theology. I want to know what I think. And actually right now, that might look like, I know God heals, I just don't know why it isn't all the time. I know God heals, I'm not sure why my mum wasn't healed, but I believe that it's his heart for his people to be well. So those now are my statements of theology. They're not ambiguous. They're not driven off the back of pain. They're driven off the back of, I trust God. And it's such a helpful place to be in. And it brings security back again. And often the impact on us spiritually with disappointment is that we end up seeing God through the filter of how we see other people. Other people will always let us down Other people will never do to our hearts what we know we want them to do. And so we just see God through the filter of the pain that we've experienced through others. But church, there really is hope. There really is hope. My first key to this hope, is that we don't confuse God with life. What do I mean by that? We read earlier in Matthew 5 that the sun rises on the righteous and the unrighteous. The rain pours on the righteous and the unrighteous. This is the stuff of life. This is what it is to live in a broken world. A fallen world. A world whereby the created order was snapped in two. And that what should be happening is not happening. And what should not be happening is happening. And that is our current human experience. To Mix God into that and to then say, well, it's God's fault is to confuse the issue. (laughs) I believe God is as deeply broken and heartbroken when something happens to us as we feel and as we are. I believe that when things happen that are awful and destructive. Our loving Father cries on our behalf. I do not believe my own theology, the types of things that you hear after things like tsunamis, oh, it's God's judgment on that people group. Well, Christ came to be the sacrifice. The God I believe in The loving, gracious, kind, stunning, potential breathing God I know is not the type of God who would arbitrarily judge a people group with a horrific tsunami and we would all go, oh yes, of course, that's what he was doing. Yes, that makes sense. I believe that when things happen in this broken world, God too is devastated. When Murray and I lost our second baby, a friend rang me. I was relatively inconsolable. I couldn't really talk to people for the first few days. And even best and closest friends, I found it very, very difficult to try and sort of have that, you know, hi, how are you? Oh, yeah, well, you know. I couldn't even have that kind of dialogue because it just sort of felt just I couldn't engage with it. But one friend rang and I just thought, oh, you know what, I will answer the phone. I will just answer the phone. Hi, Soph, I said. And she said, hi, love. How are you? I'm getting a bit teary. How are you? And I said, oh, you know. And she said, Tan, I just want you to know that I had this beautiful prophetic picture and there was this massive lion behind you roaring with indignation at what had happened. And I felt, time that this was Jesus, roaring with anger as to what has happened to you and us again. I said, oh my gosh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for putting that in perspective for me. Thank you for actually helping me see... That this is affecting Jesus too. And it reframed how I managed my bereavement after that. Because instead of the Jesus, I prayed every day. And on my most spiritual days, I prayed in tongues. And I would rub my belly every day. My husband and I would pray good things, health, happiness, and holiness. That's what we prayed. All day, we're just, every now and again, health, happiness, holiness. So it helped me reframe how I went through my bereavement. When you realize that actually, God is a separate issue to this life, this fallen world that we live in. Part of which, as I've put here, is living with the reality Spiritually, of a thief who comes to kill, to steal and destroy. A Jewish theologian named Abraham Heschel wrote this. Job gained a faith that could never be shaken because he got it out of having been shaken. Let me read that again. Job gained a faith that could never be shaken because he got it out of being shaken. In Bible college, week one, 1999, Brian Houston, who was the senior pastor of of the place that I was in, (laughs) cryptic as ever, um, said to us Bible college students, very green, very naive, very enthusiastic, very, you know, we're going to change the world. He said, choose now. And he looked at all of us. Choose now what will shake you. Choose it. Is it that your partner might leave you? Is it that your children may not be of faith or one of them may die before you? Is it that you'll be bankrupt? What is it that you know for you would trigger the deepest of your pain? Choose it now. Deal with it now before anything might ever happen. And then that way, when the rubber really hits the road, you will be unshakable. And at the time, I will be honest, I thought... A, I don't want to invite things into my world that I don't want to happen. But also, yeah, no, like, you know, I didn't quite get it. Now, I absolutely understand what he was trying to do. As Christians who live in a world that is so darn comfortable, no persecution, no real difficulties, probably some issues with people at church on a Sunday, But actually, our lives in comparison to many, many people throughout history who've proclaimed the Christian faith are relatively easy. And as a result, I just think sometimes it makes us so flaky. We don't know what cost we're counting. And to decide now how much our faith means to us and to say in advance, I just will not have this faith shaken. Whatever I go through has been a remarkable, profound thing for me to work through. And with the other aspect of hope, Jesus was a perfect man. We're so not. But Jesus was a perfect man who suffered. And God took that unfairness, the tragedy, and made it the greatest victory, well, we're getting to the point actually where it matters. This isn't just a theoretical workshop on disappointment. This is a right let's assume we're in it, let's assume we're feeling it, let's assume things haven't felt great, or others in your life are struggling with disappointment. How do we stop it from going so septic and so toxic that either it impacts our faith and we've become either ambiguous, apathetic, fringe, or just frankly distant? How do we stop it impacting our relationships? How do we stop it from impacting the potential that is still yet left in every single one of us here. The thing we can change from this day is our future. The thing we can't change today is our past. So one of the ways of stopping it going even more septic, if it's already taken root, is to choose that the future can be different. You may not know how that might look, but I'm a living testimony to the fact that through bereavement, through loss, of all sorts of things, ideals as well as people and babies, there is hope. And our potential is what matters, not what's gone on in the past. The thing with disappointment is it needs to be processed healthily so that we can move on from it rather than it trap us. I had a very interesting conversation with somebody the other day and they were telling me about how they get venom out of snakes' teeth. And apparently, it's for 10, 13-foot type snakes, it's a very, very dangerous situation. <laughs> surprise, surprise. And it takes five people to kind of get the snake and climb on top, probably some at that end and some in the middle and a few at the head. And then for literally somebody to pull back the sort of front aspect of the mouth and then somebody literally puts tissue paper in the mouth of the snake and they somehow squeeze out the venom in the teeth. I don't know how they do this or even why. But it was interesting where he said, Do You know what though, Tan, the fascinating thing is it's not catching the snake that's the dangerous part. It's the letting go where most people get bitten. Now, as any good preacher <laughs> you try and try and find a talk out of it somehow. So I thought I'd include that today. But it struck me as a very useful thing with actually addiction as well as disappointment, as well as toxic feelings, whether that be loss, bereavement, disappointment. But actually, it's a very easy thing to sink into these things. It's a really easy thing to just sink into disappointment. It's a gradual thing. No one wakes up one day and says, right, that's it. I'm now going to be really disappointed and it's going to affect everything in my life. No one chooses that. It's a gradual gradual thing and suddenly you're holding a snake and to let go seems like the most dangerous thing in the world but actually our lives are so important to God that we have got to allow this stuff to go we've got to we can be so trapped Holding on to this snake. We can be so trapped by it that it feels like there's no way out. But there really is. It's a choice. It's a good thing as well as one's learning how to move on from disappointment to ask whether or not the expectations we had in life with either our marital partner, with either our children, with our jobs, with our church... With our sex lives, with our finances, whatever it is, were my expectations realistic? Question mark. My husband will tell you, my expectations of him were very unrealistic. He was nearly forty when we got married, and I was thirty-seven. Neither of us had been married before, although as shared with you earlier, I had a few. Uh, few close shaves. He had said that he was always just waiting for the right one. (gasps) I'm not sure he'd say that now. (laughs) But my expectations of him were built on largely myth, a huge stack of infatuation and a bit of Western romance and unrealistic chick flick uh scripts that were in my head praise god we are working through those expectations and it's so interesting how the minute my expectations have shifted how remarkable our relationship changed and is changing let's ask ourselves How realistic were our expectations? And I now use this phrase, I'd prefer to have high hopes and low expectations rather than high expectations. Yeah, that's right, isn't it? We know what we mean. High hopes and low expectations. And then if it works out, and if things pan out, the best that we thought they might have done, then it's a bonus It's about managing our expectations. And something very important to note here as well is if we've been hurt by people, were we expecting something from them to try and heal something that had happened in our past? My broken engagements, my constant in and out of new relationships that would just crash and burn without realising it, I projected that onto Murray. I wanted him to heal all of that, make that all okay, be everything that I just felt uh, that I needed in a man. That's not fair. It's not fair for him. A pastor that might have really hurt you. Have you had an expectation of that Christian leader because perhaps you felt let down by a parent or an authority, person in authority, and without realising it, you transferred onto that person a certain set of expectations that you should be put first, you should be cared for, and how they then treated you was wrong. And you know what? You might be right. It could have really been wrong. But perhaps the expectations you had in the first place, as I have had with a multiple set of people, meant that I was setting the thing up to fail. And as we've said, stopping it going really toxic means to let it go. Now, there is hidden treasure. As I've said, I'm living proof of this. And a general in the army, a couple of centuries ago, wrote this. Disenchantment, whether it's a minor disappointment or a major shock, is the signal that things are moving into transition in our lives. Let's just reflect on that. We can either live in the disappointment and refuse to let it go, or we can sense that the disenchantment is a transition. It's a flag saying something needs to change. It's a flag saying, your expectations need to change. It's a flag maybe saying, you need to think about this in a different way. In order that it becomes something that can move us into this future, which we still yet have and can influence by how we think now. Henry Thoreau, if we will be quiet and ready enough, we shall find compensation in every disappointment. I have learnt more through the things I've gone through than I have if I had just had a life that had gone swimmingly. I am a richer, deeper, more thoughtful, more approachable, pragmatic, accepting, non-judgmental person because of everything I have gone through. I can now relate to people on so many different levels about bereavement, about highs and joys and lows and addictions that I would never have been able to have done if I had just done the white picket fence life existence. And this for me now, in my calling under heaven, is a rich compensation. Because I view it like that. My other alternative is to view it as woe is me. Look how painful this has been. How will I ever get through this? How will I manage this depression, this disappointment? It's so tempting to do that because it means we don't have to move on and make choices spiritually and intellectually that see the compensation in our experiences. Choose life. I love the verses in Deuteronomy. God says of us, church, wherever you are right now in your experience and your feelings, you might be annoyed with me for saying all these things. You might not want to be hearing what I'm saying. You might still be sat here thinking, you don't know, and I don't know. You might be thinking, this pain is just so deep for me I've been so disappointed. There isn't a way out. And I would say to you if that is your response right now, there is a way out. It might look different than my way out, but there is hope. There is life. I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. And the Lord says of his church, now, choose life. It's not, please consider it. Please isn't in there. Choose life, says God. The word of God can, in the words of Martin Luther King, Carve a tunnel of hope through the dark mountain of disappointment. And I believe that, church, because it's all I have. In the darkest day, the dark night of the soul, when sometimes I get flooded still with pain and tears and memories, and frustrations, I choose life, I pick up the word of God, and even when I don't want to read it, I'll choose to settle my spirit into the fact that he is all I have. And I have seen his faithfulness so many times because I've chosen his way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have five minutes left, and I would like to ask for people to share any of their experiences, or indeed any questions, or statements that you may want to make. I would love to hear from you. Please put your hands up if you'd like to contribute. Can I just ask um, you were talking about um, hope and expectation. And I think for a lot of people where they get lost is they think they're the same thing. How would you separate them from one another? How are they different? Is the question about how do you make... What's the difference between hope... Okay, expectation is obviously where we are expecting something. In our own worldview. we have created a set of experiences that we think should happen. And some of those things may and some of them may not. Hope... Is the spiritual dynamic that says, I will believe in the future. I will believe in God and in a positive way forward, regardless of what I feel right now. So, hope in many senses is just a continual sense of looking forward, regardless of what is happening around us. Any other comments at all? It'd be lovely to hear from you. Ooh, got some people waving at me. Hello.
1: I think you've shown courage and for me when I've been through the death of a baby, a death of my husband, I've got cancer, stepping out in courage. And you look in the Bible and there is so many words in the Bible with courage and only you can do it. And yes, one day you will have courage and the next day you won't. But this lady's shown courage and inner hope. Oh.
0: Fantastic. Thank you for that. Thank you. That that wasn't scripted, by the way. <laughs> Please, anybody else, it would be lovely to hear from a f- just a few more people. It would be great. Thank you. Um,
2: can you um, share something about, I know looking back in my own past experience as a Christian, that sometimes there's a, 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 quite a big separation between sort of, helping people in the Christian context and then maybe the depression gets so bad or the anxiety gets so problematic and then there's obviously, um, you know, uh, uh, other avenues of of somebody um, recovering from depression, anxiety, for example, through the mental health services and other things like that. Can you just say a little, I'm not quite sure, I'm asking but, uh, no, no, I'm I'm hoping I'll get there. But I'm just saying, just saying, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the Christian dimension is obviously our hope and our faith is very important, but I know that it's been problematic in the past for me sometimes when people have sought help and it's almost been if they've gone outside to other services, there's been a kind of stigma and a discouragement of that or if they're having psychotherapy, they haven't got the faith. You know, Do you know what I mean? I do think that it's a problem for people sometimes when they get really... In, in, into quite extreme situations, and i just wondered i don 't know I, I suppose I'm wondering whether anybody else has got any experiences like that you know and and how they've reconciled the sort of spiritual dimension, which is obviously incredibly important, but with dealing with those situations in the in the, in the secular source.
1: I was actually a mental health social worker. So I think um, having worked in mental health services, there are many Christians who actually work within that environment who want to help people. And I think there's an element that God has created such people in those professions to enable to help people who have mental health. And it's not a stigma,
0: it's a perspective. Hang on, hang on. <laughs> just for the purpose of the tape, running over to the other lovely lady.
2: Last and final. Comment. Do you th- do you think sometimes though people are di- can be discouraged from accessing those services due to incorrect assumptions and things like that?
0: I think that's a yes. Is it? like <laughs> Should I translate for you? Um, just
1: finish. This off. I also think that. There is an element of advertising that one in four people do have mental health problems and it happens to any of us. It's just how we ma- how I manage it. That's it. We've all got mental health problems. We just manage it sometimes better than others, times. Yeah,
0: absolutely. We're all on the scale, one way or another. Well, thank you. Um, I hope that that's been of some encouragement to you. Um, We do have some uh, ministry or prayer people here. um, And so if you do want to just talk with somebody, please just uh, make that known. And uh, and we'll make sure that you get somebody to talk with and just pray stuff through with. So uh, thank you very much. It's been an absolute privilege sharing with you. So bless you and have a really, really great evening.